you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're in verses 1 through 5. I know this is weird, uh, <laughs> sitting every other row, having masks on, plexiglass, uh, all of that. Uh, but it is it's, it's good to be together. Uh, I had a friend, a uh, pastor of another church that texted me and just trying to encourage me. He said, um, he said, hey, our, our, our first Sunday, we only had 10 people show up. So I'm grateful that, that we have more than 10. Uh, and I was, I, I was thinking, uh, I was imagining uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that are uh, living in persecution and, and those churches and um, the ones that they have to meet in secret. And if we told them like, hey, uh, we're actually going to make it so you can gather with 50, 60 other Christians, but you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to wear a mask. You're going to have to kind of sit far apart. You're going to have to sanitize touch points after the service, um, but, but you can meet together. And, and how, uh, how eager they would be, and that's, that's helped me kind of deal with the weirdness and, and appreciate that, that we can come together as God's people to worship together. So let's, uh, I'm going to read for you uh, our passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not, uh, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our truth statement today is um, when, uh, when the church's faith is tested by suffering, elders must shepherd willingly and eagerly, and the people uh, must follow with humility toward one another. So when, when the church's faith is tested by suffering, elders are to come, they're, sh they're to shepherd willingly and eagerly, and, and the people are to follow the elders that God has put in place. And we do this with humility toward one another. And I can imagine um, coming to this passage as you're reading through the letter of 1 Peter uh, and, and reading this exhortation to elders and, and just mentally checking out thinking, well, this is for the elders of our church. I'm, I'm not an elder. And, and though most of these verses today, the five verses, most of them are directed right at elders. But this passage is certainly to all believers. And here's a few ways. Uh, one, this passage assures us that God provides for the suffering church by providing elders, right? Elders that will shepherd, that will take care of God's flock. Uh, this, this helps us Stand firm, right? This is God's grace to us that he has appointed uh, men that will, will help lead the church. Um, and if elders are so important as scripture makes them out to be, then as a member of our church, you need to know how an elder's to live. Uh, so you can pray for them. And I hope, I beg you to pray for our elder team. Also, every time we have an elder candidate, like, like we did with Scott Rose recently, we, we bring him up before you, shares his testimony, and, and then we give you uh, like a three-week period 
to, to give us any feedback on him. So a passage like this helps you know biblically how elders are supposed to live as you consider uh, an elder for our church. Uh, God has set it up so, so that, that, that the people of the church would follow the, the elders of the church. And we don't naturally want to be told who to follow. And this is yet another place that we need God's help to be obedient to what he commands us to do. So you, you could ask yourself as you read this letter as well, why does he suddenly talk about elders? I, I can, uh, as I read it over and over again, I'm like, man, it, it just feels like it's coming out of, of left field here. So what's the connection with the rest of the letter? And it may seem that his exhortation is random or coming out of left field, but I do believe that there's a connection here that Peter sees and he wants us to see. He, he writes in the very first word, so, or maybe your translation says, therefore, but Peter's connecting back to something that he just wrote. And I can see at least two connections from our passage last week in verses 17 and verse 19. Verse 17 says, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. And as Alex pointed out last week, this judgment that the apostle Peter writes about, it begins with the household of God. It's a judgment of purification for those who believe in Jesus. And Peter's taking language right from Ezekiel 9, verse 6, where it's talking about this judgment that's coming upon Israel. And God says to begin in his sanctuary. And then it reads, so they began with the elders. And I think Peter definitely had in mind Ezekiel 9 when he wrote this to the elders, that this refining judgment that he wrote about in 417, that it would start with God's household. And he's starting with the leaders of the church, the elder shepherds of the church. And unfortunately, if, if, you, if you've read your Old Testament, you know that Israel had a horrible history of, of bad shepherds. Uh, Ezekiel 34, God calls out the shepherds of Israel, saying that instead of feeding the sheep like they're supposed to, they're getting fat off what they were supposed to give to the sheep. That, that instead of protecting the sheep, instead of going after the wandering sheep, instead of binding up the wounded sheep, they're neglecting the sheep. And he rebukes. Israel's elders. And then later in that same chapter, God says that he would send his shepherd. He would send the Messiah who would come and rescue his sheep by laying down his life for them. There's also a connection 419. It says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Peter just doesn't stop encouraging believers who are suffering. He writes, he writes, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he'll never fail you. Part of God's gracious plan to care for the church is to give elders. And this is the office that God has appointed and that God will use to lead his church through suffering. These elder shepherds are there to lead people. They're trying to follow after Jesus, even in the midst of suffering. These elders are to feed the church. They're to warn the church of attacks. They're to help the wounded. They're to pastor the, the sheep in their care. And, and if there is suffering among Christians for the name of Jesus, the, that suffering would often start with the elders. 
Right? We see this in the persecuted church uh, today around the world and, and even through history of, of persecution, especially when persecution comes from the government, the first thing they do often is attack the leaders of the church. They, they attack the elders of the church. We've seen um, reports of this coming out of China for years now. As we hear about the government clamping down on a church, the first thing they do is arrest the elders of that church in hopes that, that if the leaders of the church are arrested, then, then the church will, will dissolve. It'll, it'll fall apart. So Peter's preparing the church for this refining that starts. He starts with the elders. So verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And, and just some observations from verse 1. Peter's humility jumps off the page here to me. He, he could have written... As an apostle, I write this to the elders. But, but instead he writes, as a fellow elder. I think humility is one of the most important characteristics for any leader in the church, including elders. Uh, and verse 5 will, will affirm how critical humility is for the whole body. He, he also writes that he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He could have said... He was a witness to the resurrected Christ. He could have said he was a witness to the ascended Christ. Those things certainly would have caught our attention, but instead he catches our attention with the suffering of Christ. Throughout this whole letter, he wants to encourage us to stand firm, to continue following after Christ, even when we suffer for Christ's name. And he's equipping believers that, yeah, yes, you'll, you'll suffer just as Christ suffered for you. Continue living for Jesus. He encourages us not to lose heart as we suffer for believing, but to remember the true hope that we have. We remember back to chapter 1 when he talks about the inheritance that awaits believers. Right? We can get worn out in this world, but he, he, he told us this inheritance. He said it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter also reminds us that he will partake in the glory that will be revealed. And you think about that. Right? Peter's the disciple that said, no, I'll never, I'll never abandon you, Jesus. And yet he denied Jesus three times as Jesus was taken away and suffered. So if Peter, who did that, right, who, who denied Christ, will partake in the glory, this tells me that everyone, anyone who trusts in Christ, will partake in the glory revealed. And then maybe the most simple observation from this first verse is that he assumes that every church has elders, right? He, he was writing to dozens, if not more than dozens of churches. Almost every New Testament author has something to say about elders. So this isn't just Peter's idea or Paul's idea. Elders are an essential part of God providing for the local church. Elders are central to God's plans for taking care, for shepherding his people. And it's multiple elders. It's not just one guy in charge. I think our, our American view of church is, is kind of like the CEO model. So as the lead pastor, you'd think like, I'm the one in charge of everything. No, it's, it's, a, it's a team of elders that leads our church. God is so good to provide elders for the local church. So what does Peter want these elders to do? Verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So one observation is, is if elders are shepherding a flock, that means the church, the body, that's made up of sheep. 
Right? We are sheep in need of a shepherd. God has created you with, with needs. And, and we have this physically, we have this spiritually. And that goes against, though, our cultural view of, uh, of us being independent people that can take care of ourselves. But the reality is we need help spiritually. We need some care spiritually. We're responsible for ourselves, certainly, in our growth in Christ. But we have needs that we cannot provide for on our own. You have needs spiritually that your spouse cannot provide for, that your small group cannot provide for. So God has given elders of the church to help provide for those needs, to help care for the church. And when I read these words from Peter, I can't help but remember Jesus, what he said to Peter when he reinstated Peter. Right After Peter had denied Jesus three times, Peter, or Jesus asked, do you love me? Peter affirms it. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. That stuck with Peter. I think he got it. Elders are to shepherd the flock. Our English word for pastor comes from this word shepherd. So an elder is a pastor, and I want us to think that way. When we say that we have a team of elders, this means that we have a team of pastors. Right? We typically think of pastors as the, the ones who are on paid staff, um, the ones who are up front preaching, leading in, in different ways. And I'm sure none of you would say this, but we might view the paid elders as like the varsity team, and then our volunteer elders are like the JV team. Well, the New Testament doesn't talk that way. Peter doesn't write that way. Elders are pastors. Our elder team is our team of pastors for harvest. And I hope that um, over time, we come to view our entire elder team as pastors. I know that will take time, but I think we'll be a better church if we realize that, that it, it's not just me, it's not just a, a couple paid pastors, it's our, it's our entire elder team that, that God has provided. And trust me, you want, you want a bigger team than just me or, or me and Gary. Um, God is faithful to bring along men to help pastor his church, and by his design, they come with different gifts. Right, different ways that God has uniquely made them to serve this church during this time. Uh, Scott and Peter are our uh, volunteer elders right now, and they bring different gifts to the table. They bring different experiences. They bring different perspectives. Right? They have different strengths and different weaknesses than I have. And just the other day, I was sitting with the staff. I can't remember if it was staff meeting or some other time, and, and I was telling them about this ministry opportunity that's, that's coming up, and I said, you just wait. Peter Kobe is going to shine in this situation. Like, it, he, he is going to be so good at this, so much better than I am at this. And Peter's sitting in the first service. He has no clue what I'm talking about, which was kind of fun for me. Um, I'll tell him later at our meeting today what he's, what he's going to do so well. But, um, but, but really, he's gifted in ways that the Lord has not gifted me. Scott Rose is somewhere. Did I just see Scott? Scott's right there. Scott, he's gifted in different ways than I am, in different ways than Gary is, different ways than Peter is. It was true with, with uh, our previous elders, Dan and Frank and Nate. Uh, God, God gifts uh, these men to come and lead the church. You, you want a, a group of pastors shepherding your church, not just one or two. We, we've certainly all read stories or, or heard stories of, of churches that, that really have that, that head pastor that runs everything, and, and then the, the crumbling that so often comes when you have just one person in charge. I think biblically, it's, 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 a, it's multiple elders. Anyway, so he, he describes elders as shepherds. So let's imagine a shepherd, right? A good shepherd 
needs to feed the sheep, right? So the shepherd is on the lookout for good pasture land, right? Plenty of food to feed the sheep, a good water source. He's, he's looking to protect the sheep from attackers. He's going after sheep that have wandered away. He, he cares for, for the hurt sheep, right? If, if a lamb breaks its leg, he's going to figure out how to make a splint or something so that that sheep can heal up. The shepherd's goal is growing healthy sheep that will mature and reproduce healthy sheep. And elder shepherds, uh, they're after the same goal. But, but with, with the flock of, of God's people, they're, they're out to grow healthy, mature disciples of Christ that multiply other disciples of Christ. Colossians 1.28 says it this way, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Uh, shepherding the flock is, is striving towards this goal of growing believers in Christ-like maturity. So elders are more about the people in the church than the programs of the church. Uh, I think we can often view, uh, maybe you thought of an elder team as more of like a trustee board. Um, it, it, they're not. And administrative tasks matter, I get it, right? We need to have budgets, we need to have programs, we need to have systems that help us track and care for our people, that matters. But, but elders are to be about the people. Um, this pastoral team uh, of elder shepherds should be among the people. Pastor uh, Jeremy Ryan, he put it this way. He said, shepherds should smell like sheep, right? Because they're, they're with the sheep. They're among the sheep. You, you don't picture, or at least I don't picture, uh, a shepherd like a couple miles away from his sheep. When I read uh, in the Gospels about Jesus, and he's with He's with the disciples. He's with the crowds. Yes, there's times when he goes away specifically to pray, to be with the Father. But then, really quickly, he's back with the people, talking, teaching, even touching. We, uh, we have a history of elders that are in the life of our people. Certainly Nate and Frank and Dan were that way. Peter and Scott are both that way. Gary's that way. If you have a team of elders that don't have time for people in church, there's a big problem. In our next series, we're, we're going to do a little mini-series on the church. And in about a month or so, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit more about elders. And one of the things I want to tell you is how we even, how we even go about um, uh, looking at elder candidates. What's that, what's that process like in, in looking for more men to share in, in the ministry here at Harvest? Anyway, we'll, we'll keep going in verse 2. So he said, he said, shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Oh, sorry, compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So Paul, Paul writes it this way. He, he says in 1 Timothy 3.1, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Right? So certainly just wanting to be an elder doesn't make you qualified to be an elder. But, but if you do meet all the other boxes, if, if all the other boxes are checked off, but you don't desire to be an elder, Peter's saying you shouldn't be. Right? Now, Almost all the time when we've approached someone about being an elder, considering joining our elder team, there's, there's a, a, a pause, 
there, there's there's a, a moment of, of them just taking that in, the, 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 the big task. Actually, sometimes that moment lasts months <laughs> before they get back to us. But but they're, they're weighing what they're being asked to do. And I, and I think it's because biblically they understand the weight of this task. Um, and that's great. But, but if, if, if I were to go to a guy and ask him to consider joining our team and, and he turns us down and then say a year, maybe two years later, I come to him again, like, hey, I just, I want you to think about it again. And he prays about it and comes back and says no. And then a third time, you know, a couple of years later, I ask again. And, and if he says yes this time, I'm going to ask him, are, are you saying yes just because you've turned me down twice? Right? Do you just feel bad and, and like you need to finally do your part? Because if so, Peter's telling us you, you don't want that. You, you want someone that, that, that has a desire to be an elder. He goes on, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And, and this one's almost funny to me. I know a lot of pastors. Obviously, I, I hang out with other pastors. I, I talk to other pastors. We're, we're at gatherings. Um, I don't know personally any pastors that are uh, in it uh, because they think they're going to like get rich at a church, right? Like every pastor I know, they would make more money in some other career choice. Um, now, certainly we know the, the wealth and prosperity gospel preachers, they sure talk about money. Uh, I think TBN is probably still a channel out there. Um, yeah, I suspect that a lot of, maybe all um, uh, of those are, are in it for the money, but, but I don't think this shameful gain is just about money. Uh, this could also be about notoriety. You know, we see uh, pastors, I mean, Christian culture is just such a weird thing. We have pastors that write a book, and if that book takes off, then that pastor is, is speaking at every major conference for, for the next several years. We see pastors whose blogs just explode in popularity on the internet. And, and, and pastors who, uh, a video that they make goes viral on YouTube. And certainly there, there are pastors that it looks like that's what they're living for. But it, it can happen in a much, uh, much smaller way than that even. You could be an elder in a church and, and no one outside of the church knows you. And, and yet, Yet you live to, to be elevated to, to this place, like, like you're put on a pedestal by your church. An elder shepherd could, could love and just live for encouragement, feedback, pats on the back from their church. And Peter warns against being motivated for shameful gain. Instead, the elder shepherd is to have an eagerness, right? to be eager to serve the flock. And oftentimes, it is anything but glorious. Verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. An elder on a power trip is not good. It's not good for the church. We've all probably heard of elders in, in some church. Maybe it's a church you were part of, maybe not. But, but that just loves the power of being on the elder team and, and, and waves that around like this, this sword that's just, just hurting people left and right instead of loving Christ instead of loving the people in their care. Elders abusing power will always hurt the church. Instead, elders are to be an example to the flock. And it would be easy to, to look around the world and, and think that uh, the most important thing for an elder and elder team is to know how to run the church. And, and certainly that matters. A group of elders needs to figure out how to run the church. But the New Testament writers put a much greater emphasis on godly character. Peter um, has come at our holiness 
from all different angles throughout this letter. And the charge here to the elders is that, and to the church even, is that an elder must be a man of godly character that a church can look to and follow. And this is a part of how the church will live godly lives by having godly examples that they can follow after. First Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's, that's kind of a bold statement. It, it doesn't sound like a, a humble Christian thing to say like, hey, if you watch me following Jesus, you'd probably do pretty well. Right? That, that doesn't sound like something that we should say. And, and yet when Paul says that, he's not saying that elders are perfect. Right? He's not saying that he's perfect. Peter's not saying elders are perfect. But they are saying that as you follow Jesus, these men in your church are to be an example of you following Jesus. And certainly there are other examples, too, of men and women in our churches to follow. But an elder's character should be such that, that as they look to the elders, they, they could pattern their life after them. They, they could look at not just what they do on stage or in a Bible study, but they could see what kind of neighbor you are. They could, they could look at how you parent your children, how they deal with conflict, how they confess sin, how they think about money and use money, what they pray about, how they manage their time. All of these things can be examples Certainly how they love their spouse. I, I read uh, one pastor that wrote, if they don't love their bride, well, how can we, tr- uh, how can we trust them with the bride of Christ? 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Titus 1.7, similar, it says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Paul, in, in both those books there, uh, he says that they're to be above reproach. Right? And this doesn't mean sinless. This doesn't mean perfect. If you think your pastor has ceased sinning, you have a warped view of them. There's a pastor uh, named Thabiti, and I always mess up his last name, so I won't even try. He, he says this. He says, being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man who no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man would do such acts. It's easy to see what works in the world and think that we just import from businesses or organizations what they do, that that's all the church needs. But, but God says, no, no, you need, you need elders that have godly character, that love Jesus and are committed to Jesus and to Jesus' bride. So Peter wants the local church to have elders from, from all kinds of occupations, right? Uh, fishermen, teachers, plumbers, computer programmers, engineers, nurses, entrepreneurs, grocers, whatever the occupation is. He, he wants men that are godly examples, leaders that you can look to and say, okay, it, it looks like that following Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emulate him as he emulates Christ. Verse 4 He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter tells these elders that when Christ returns, they're going to get some kind of special crown. We don't know exactly what it's like, but but this word, it could mean 
like a crown bestowed on like an athletic champion or, or like that wreath maybe that, that, that we imagine uh, way back in Rome. Uh, the word for crown could be uh, a crown that, that a king puts on a soldier, bestowing this great honor for something valiant they'd done. Or, or it could be the, the crown that a king himself wears. We, we don't know what the crown will be like for elders that serve their churches in a way that honors Christ, but it will be great. It's an unfading crown of glory. It will not be like the wealth or the honor that we can pursue in this life. It will outshine the riches of the world. Peter says, be motivated for this reward, this eternal reward. Don't be motivated by shameful gain. Don't be motivated by power. No, let this motivate you, how God will bestow honor on you. Verse 5 it says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So in verse 5, he's going to tell us how, okay, church, how do we respond to elders? And he starts off and he says that the younger are supposed to be subject to the elders. And why, why does he pick on the young people? Uh, I'm not totally sure, but I remember what it was like to be really young and think that I know pretty much everything and certainly know more than a lot of people that are older than me and think they know what to tell me. And then you age and you realize how little you actually know. So perhaps Peter is speaking to those who may have had the hardest time submitting themselves to these leaders in, in, in these churches. But if, if, it's, if he's talking to those people, it's certainly for everyone in the church that we're to submit to the elders that God places in your church because it's for your care. Just like in earlier chapters, um, we were told to submit, right? Whether it's government or, or a master that abuses you or, or wives submitting to husbands, even when they're not Christians. Uh, but he tells us, no, we don't submit when it causes us to sin, right? Certainly you, you wouldn't submit to elders leading you wrongly. But otherwise, Peter tells us to submit. And, and one way um, that we submit is I, I think we, we pray for our elders. And I hope, I hope and plead with you, we pray for our elder team. Right, we're, we're learning. I, I, I get the sense that God is, is growing us to um, uh, to be uh, more biblical in, in our eldering, in our shepherding of this church. I think it's a, a great, great thing. But pray for us. Pray for protection. Pray for, pray for this just singular focus in glorifying Christ by loving Christ's bride, the church. Pray for future elders that, that God is, is raising up. I was just praying for elders um, just last night, and, and I, was, I was like thinking down through guys in our church, and I, I got all the way down to middle school and thinking, man, some of these guys, some of these guys, like God is going to have them be elders, maybe in our church, maybe in another church, but pray. The rest of verse 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? All of us are sheep. Even the sheep that are called to serve as shepherds, we're to live with humility towards one another. Man, Harvest, if we can figure out how to be humble, like really, really humble, not, not just look humble, but true humility, our church will be such a blessing to be a part of. And, and even, even outside of this place, it will be a blessing to our community. God graces the humble, but it's, it's the proud that he opposes. God is faithful to provide for his church. The apostle Peter was confident that God had provided 
for these churches and no doubt would continue to provide in the future for these local churches that, that he would give elders to shepherd. And if, if you remember the very beginning of the letter, week one, I, I talked about the persecution that was very quickly going to follow the distribution of First Peter. When, after the letter came out, there, there were going to be many Christians in the region that were going to suffer and die at the hands of Nero. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if some of these elders, as they read these letters, if, if they were going to be the first targeted, I'm sure that churches watched as their own elders suffered. They were examples to their people of how to suffer for Jesus. How good it is that God had already provided for these churches as they were about to go into even greater suffering, that he gave them elders to shepherd them. This book has asked the question all along the way, how do we live as exiles in this world? And, and one way that, that God has provided for us is by giving his church shepherds for his people. He was not going to ask sheep to suffer without shepherds caring for them that would also suffer I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the elders that we've had in our church. I'm grateful for our current elders. I'm, I'm grateful for elders that we will have someday in our church to help shepherd this church. I'll close with two verses. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you and uh, has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that um, that you've given uh, us each other, that you've given us the church to follow you, to be in this community, this family of God together. Thank you for blessing your church with, with this, this plan to have leaders that would shepherd the church, that would care for the church, that would provide for the church. Um, Lord, as an elder team, we humbly admit that we have so much growing to do. There's so many things that if I, if I just sat here and thought, so many mistakes that, I, that I've made myself as an elder. God, will you, will you grow us? And will you grow uh, more men that, that will fill this role, fill this office in our church? And God, I, I pray that the result would be a healthy church. Lots and lots and lots of believers growing in Christ-like maturity and, and, and reproducing, multiplying other disciples for you, Jesus. Lord, I'm so thankful that, that, we, that we're inside, even though things are super different and weird. God, I, I thank you that we're about to sing to you together. Lord, I thank you that, that in here we'll actually be able to hear each other's voices. And I pray that as we sing these praises God, uh, obviously those praises are to you, and I know that, that as we do that, it's a reminder to one another these truths about you. So, Lord, I, I do pray that these words uh, would penetrate our hearts, God, that, that, that this singing would actually be a part of our discipleship, Jesus, that you would grow us in, in, in singing these songs together, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.